Genesis 48, as I put up on Facebook, I've been going over this since, well, not, not including, including Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, reading over there. I only get a couple of days in between to uh, to go over these things, so Monday's when we start on Wednesday. And so I'm just kind of reading over, and it just kept sitting there. Something's There's something there I'm missing. Something there I'm not quite getting on this. And So it wasn't until Tuesday evening, ah, now I think I see it. So I got it, so we'll... Set out to, to write it all up here today. For me, it helped explain Jacob and his life, how he has lived it, and how we can help our lives in the way that we live them. In this chapter, there is a particular notable change in Jacob's attitude of life, especially in comparison to the one we had before, the last chapter. He suddenly has a positive outlook on life. Why? What happened? What caused him to suddenly, after 130 years of a negative attitude on life, what has occurred that he now, as he is dying, has a positive outlook of life? So we're going to take a look at these. We saw last week that Jacob described his life to Pharaoh. And it was not very positive. It was very negative. We did a run through, quick run through of his life and the big things that had occurred to him. So that Jacob reacts to adversity by becoming more fearful and protective. If I react in my life to becoming more fearful and protective, I will have the outlook of life that, Joseph, that Jacob does. Joseph had negative things happen to him too, but he remained forgiving and serving. And why his life outlook was so much better. We finished off with, are we planning and preparing for what God says is coming? Many of the people... In Egypt did not. They heard the dream and its interpretation. They heard and saw what they were getting ready for. They could see the extra storage containers. They could see everything that was being done, but they themselves apparently didn't do anything to get ready for what was said was coming. So we put that question to us. Are we planning and are we preparing for what God says is coming? Jesus says there's deception. There's going to be wolves and sheep's Clothing, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be tests and trials, there'll be wars, there'll be raptures, or a rapture. And are we getting ready for these things? Let's begin over here at verse 1 in Genesis chapter 48. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, or Ephraim, however you prefer to say that. And Jacob was told, Look, your son is, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Now Luz is Bethel. He renamed it. It was named Luz by the people there. When he was there, he renamed it to Bethel. So if Luz doesn't ring a bell with you, it is because you know it better as being Bethel. Verse 4, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Verse 4 is the part that I was referring to. I didn't know it was verse 4. I just know I'm reading this and something's not right. Something's not jiving with this and I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. But here it was, right here in verse 4. 
Look at the, the promise here. Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people, and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Do you see the problem? You don't have to raise your hand or answer anything. I just, just in your own head. You don't know what I'm looking for. It's always a tough thing when a preacher says, do you see? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Right there at the end. An everlasting possession. Did God ever say that? Did God give it to them as an everlasting possession? They lost it twice. They had it. They lost it. They were put back in. The, um, this is, this is not the, in the promise. So I went back over to where he was met at Luz. As I put in your outline, the last part seems to be added. Now the thing is, Jacob answers here and answers very confidently. But if we answer confident, confidently or we are very confident in something that is wrong, it makes no difference how confident we are. Now the New Testament talks about us being confident in our faith, confident in our confession, that there needs to be a confidence that's there. Jesus said, if you say it with your mouth and believe it with your heart, there needs to be a confidence that's there. But just because I have a confidence doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Because here something is wrong. Now if we know, if what we know is false or faulty, confidence won't help. We can be confident in the soundness of our house. But if our knowledge of the electric and plumbing is faulty, that confidence won't help us. You may move into the house, well this house is solid, this house is good. But I can't see inside the walls and it may not be. We, I came home one time, um, I forget where I was. Oh, I think I was out uh, doing some of the things with the storm, people in the storm, helping them out. And I had come home on one particular uh, time I had gone out and was coming back. And I couldn't get to my house. There was a fireman over there. He was blocking off the road to get, uh, I could make the turn into development, but I couldn't go. Uh, after the first block, I couldn't go down to my block. Uh, there was a guy there steering us on. I pulled over to him. I said, I, I, I live down here. He said, well, you can't get down there right now. So I parked the truck up about a block away, and I, I called my wife, and I says, is everything okay down there? She goes, yeah, it's fine. Why? I said, because there's about three or four fire trucks out in front of the house, and um, uh, uh, it looks like you know they're, they're not letting anybody down through. She hadn't even heard anything that was going on. So she she went on outside. Oh my, look at that. So then she comes out and neighbors are all gathered out there trying to figure it out. So I walked on down to where they're at and uh, my one neighbor who kind of knows everything about everything. <laughs> uh, we were talking with him and he said, yeah, they're working on that house over here. He said, that house is a mess. He said, they, uh, they called uh, me and his son's an electrician. They called us over one time to, to work on the electric and we got in there and we say, this is a mess. We won't even touch it. Now, I don't know what they could see. But apparently, they could see something and told them that the electric in the place was a mess. And so, when they saw the, the fire people are up on the roof and checking on things and there was smoke in the house and, and whatever, they pretty much were assured that there was something electrical inside the walls or inside the uh, whatever. I never did hear what it actually was. But looking on the outside, I mean, it didn't look like the most upkept house, but... 
I wouldn't have thought anything like that would have been would have been wrong. You can have a confidence, and those people probably had confidence. Yeah, we just need this thing done. Well, apparently somebody came in who had a little bit more knowledge and a little more understanding. They said, oh, no, you need a lot more than that. You need all this stuff over here fixed. And uh, we won't even touch that one. And uh, they, they walked away and, and didn't do anything with it at all. We can be confident, but if that confidence is not based on something solid, solid understanding, solid knowledge, our confidence is useless. Jacob is confident of what he is saying. But there's a problem. One of the things that uh, the aspects of being a pastor, and other pastors do this as well, you you have to keep an ear out for faulty things. The faulty things could be people in the church that have beliefs that go a certain way. You hear people talk, you hear people say things. Oh, wait a minute, what's what's going on? And you just kind of register. You don't always just get in their face and say, "Knock that off." Yeah, you have to uh, figure out, all right, well, maybe um, it's something we haven't taught on and maybe we need to, to do something more in there. But you're always listening for this. You're listening for things in, in people that go to the church. You're listening to reports that people in the church might hear, teachings that they might hear or teachings that they have heard. And so you're always listening for these kind of things to, to find out, is something faulty? Is something going to come in and, and undermine people's faith and when that happens, you know, sometimes I'll come into church on Sunday and I say, well, I've heard this teaching or I heard this thing and, and show you where it is in the Word of God, why the Word of God is, is uh, telling you this way, so that if it ever comes to you, you are prepared and know not to, uh, not to go that way. So we decide how to address it. Sometimes we address it in a, in a uh, Sunday or Wednesday night service. Sometimes individually, you just go up to different people and talk to them about it, small groups. Small gatherings, sometimes you can do it there. Sometimes even on Facebook, uh, Facebook we can uh, deal with something. Text messages sometimes. There's all kinds of ways now that we can we can talk about these things and uh, address them. But here, let's go back over to Genesis 35. This is where the meeting in, in Bethel occurred. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go out to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which is by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So just them walking by, God says he made everybody afraid of them. And they wouldn't touch them. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared to him when he had fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan. Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. As uh, Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and the king shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you 
and to your descendants after you I give this land. Now, he said to the descendants after you, I will give this land. It could be that he's thinking that all the descendants after me will be in this land, therefore it's an everlasting possession. It also could be that God is saying, I've given you this land and the descendants that you have are the ones that are going to be coming in and taking the land. And it said in verse 13, Then God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Now God did not say everlasting possession, but that's what Jacob heard, and that's what Jacob said. This has to be what Jacob is, is thinking. Now, how does this happen? How do you get from a place where God says one thing, but I remember it differently, or I think of it differently, or my understanding of it is different than what God intended? Now, we look at how this could happen. First off, God wants to give them a land. We know that. God will deliver to them, uh, deliver the land to them from the Canaanites. Now, if God's going to deliver it to them from the Canaanites, is God going to take it back? Probably not. But the latter part there is assumed it's never part of the promise. In fact, as the promise comes on, and this is after Jacob, uh, under under Moses, where they're given the, the law, we're told a lot of things that as long as you do this and as long as you are in the land and not worshiping other idols and uh, serve the Lord your God and honor His Word, then this would be an everlasting thing. But there was an if in there. So I've wondered, are there things that we have assumed from a promise God gave? How can this additional uh, belief affect our expectations? How did it affect the expectations of the people? How did it affect the expectations of the people that will come? If this is what we're hearing, well, Jacob heard from God. He said that God appeared to him at Luz. He's not quoting someone else's. He says he is quoting what God told him. But we go back to chapter 35, and we see that God didn't exactly say it that way. But this is what Jacob remembers. And this is what Jacob is passing on. Now, if the enemy cannot get the word out of you, he will try to add to it. We saw that back in the garden. We saw that in other places too. If he can't get the word out, he's going to try and add to what you have. Because either way, he, he makes it less pure. And it won't be as effective. If I have something added to, if the word of God in me is added to, if I don't have it complete, my understanding of it cannot be correct. I can't understand it correctly if I don't have the whole thing. That's why you got to be careful what study, uh, Bible you study with. There's some Bibles you may read with if you want to read with uh, the Message or the Amplified or um, uh, a couple of these other things out there that take liberties. And it, it's not a translation; it's a paraphrase. Just understand when you read that, that's not what it said. That's what somebody thinks it said. And you have to be careful. The Amplified is uh, not quite as much of a paraphrase, but uh, you got to be careful with the Amplified. Uh, 
because it uses words that can't necessarily be proven by the context. So um, they'll, they'll give you all the meanings of a word, but not all those meanings can actually be in place in those situations. So you just be careful with it. Go back and get a real translation and just compare it to that. Know what, know what was said. So should Joseph have corrected him? Well, first off, did Joseph know better? Or does Joseph only know what Jacob told him? If Joseph only knows what Jacob told him, then when Jacob says this again, then, well, that's what God said. That's what you told me before that God said. So there's really no way that Joseph can correct him because Joseph's knowledge may be based on exactly what Jacob had told him before. If he did know better, if he did know what the promise of God was, if he heard the promise of God before it got added to, maybe he did try and correct Jacob and Jacob wouldn't hear it. And here on the deathbed, that's not the place to try and fix people. If they haven't been fixed in 147 years, you're not going to fix them now. And, and if that's the case, then that's probably why Joseph didn't address it. So Joseph doesn't address this either because he doesn't know any better than what is being said here, or he does know better and it has failed before to try and uh, do anything about it. So I don't know which one it is. Probably one of those, those two. So I asked the question, what beliefs do we have, what beliefs do I have along this same line? So I wrote down a couple, and you can probably uh, go in the Word of God and find some for your, for your own self, but people always love Romans. All things work together for good. And their viewpoint of this is because God is in control. And they always add that in. Well, this only happened to me because God allowed it, because God has a purpose for it. And what we have done was we took a promise of God, we added to it, we altered it, and now my understanding of that promise is faulty. So my expectations are different. And now I expect whatever happens in life, God brought it on and there's a purpose for it, so I don't fight nothing. Whatever comes to me, this is good. In John chapter 15, verse 3, it says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Well, if that's what he said, and people want to take that, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, then regardless of how I live, I'm clean. Regardless of what I do, regardless of what I speak, regardless of what I say, I'm clean because the word has been spoken to me. Would that alter your life? Would that change you from living the way that God wants you to live? But is that not a viewpoint that some that a lot of people have? Well, I can live as I want to. Well, I know God's word said this isn't right, but I feel like it is. I feel like this is right. We've heard people say that, haven't we? John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's what Jesus said. Let me read it for you again. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Now, I can interpret that as that all that comes to me, the Father has given me. That's, that flips it around, doesn't it? But it, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. But a lot of people hear these kind of things. All that comes to me, the Father has given me. Now, you just switch the order and it changes the meaning. 
No matter where I go, the Lord is there with me to protect me. It's a, it's what some people come out of Joshua 1 9. For, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But you see, Joshua is a person who's following after God, who's doing what God said to do, who's going in the direction God said to go, with the people he said to go with, to the city he said to go and attack. And so because of that, God says to him, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But a lot of times Christians hear this, no matter where I go, the Lord is there with me to protect me. But if the word of God comes up on the inside of you or in a place that you're going, it says, don't go. And I go anyway. That's not good. You got to listen to to those uh, messages. Now, God doesn't always have to give me a no to get me to, to not do things. I think we were mentioning that to you in the text. I said that to you. Most of the people got it. If you're not on the text list, then you didn't get it. But um, I just remind you of the principle I've been taught uh, Brother Keith Moore is constantly saying this in his uh, in his teachings. I don't need a leading from God to not do something. I need a leading from God to do something. To go in a particular direction. Now, it doesn't mean you won't ever get a leading from God to not do something. There are examples in the Word of God where God said, no, don't do that. But don't depend on it. Just know if God didn't say to do it, that doesn't mean that you have a green light to go do it. You have to, you have to listen to him. Now he, here Joshua, he had a green light from God. Have I not commanded you? I told you to go there. I told you to do this. You are operating underneath the command I've already given you. Therefore the Lord is, is with you wherever you go. But if God has not commanded me to go do something, I'm just going to do something because this is my normal routine. It's probably fine to go out there and to do it. But if the word of God comes up to me and says, hey, hold up, hold up, then I hold up. One more. Well, that's, that's all we'll do on, on that one. Go over to Genesis 48, verse 5. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. I think that's the rest of uh, chapter 35 we didn't read. That is Bethlehem. So Ephrath is Bethlehem. Verse verse 8, Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Now it's not like he hasn't seen these sons. It seems that every time that Joseph would come visit, I'm sure he brings the, the kids along. Uh, Grandpa would like to see the kids. He doesn't get to see them all the time. They're over there with Joseph. So whenever Joseph comes in for a visit, he probably brings them. He has probably seen them before, but maybe they're just a little bit too far in the room. And the word is that already said his eyesight is dimmed, so he can't quite see who's over there. He's just checking to see who's who's there. And he said, well, these are my two sons. So it's not like he's introducing them for the first time. Joseph's been there for 17 years. They're not little boys anymore. They were already young lads when Jacob came to the land of Egypt. That's when he was 130. He's 147 now. That's 17 years later. They're full grown. They're full grown young men. 
So they're not little guys in the in the room. They're tall like Joseph, more than likely. So he says, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I have not thought to see your face, but in fact God has shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. Then Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. So what he's describing here is Ephraim is the younger of the two, Manasseh is the older. So he takes Manasseh and he puts them on the right side. So he pushes him in the direction, so Manasseh is over here, and so Ephraim is over here. So what what he should do is, you know, just lay his his hands out here, and uh, everything will be be fine. But that's not what happens. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn, guiding his hands knowingly. He knew something. So instead of just going and putting his right hand on the older and his left hand on the younger, because this was a big deal for these guys back in then. You may not think of it too much yourself, but this is the big deal for them. He goes and he puts his right hand this way and his left hand this way. That takes effort. You're, you're, You're switching things up. And Joseph sees that. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now this is the same blessing. It doesn't change the blessing. Now he puts the same blessing on both of them, but since his right hand is on Ephraim, the stronger blessing goes on him. Just It's just symbolic. But look at what he says. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. God who did what? Fed him. Does that sound like anything that he was talking to with Pharaoh? He talked about the famines. He talked about all sorts of stuff. That, 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 how life was hard. Life was difficult. My life has been 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 um, very tough, as he's telling Pharaoh. We were making the the point that if that was his only introduction to the God Jehovah, I don't think he would have wanted to serve him. But that wasn't his only introduction. He had uh, he had Joseph, and he saw what God had done for Joseph. The God who has fed me all my life long to this day does not not seem like a breach from how Jacob normally views his God and his life. Look at the next verse. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. What? Are you kidding me? Didn't he just have a testimony in the chapter before, before Pharaoh? Oh, my life is hard. Oh, the things that are going on. We read it over his life and looked at all the things that are there. Now suddenly, 
the angel has delivered me from them. Okay, they happened, but he's delivered me. Where, where did this come from? What has occurred that all of a sudden Jacob is speaking good things? So his words have a notable change. The only difference in the life of Jacob that is, has gone on here now, the only difference I can see that is major, beside being in Egypt instead of being in the land of Canaan, which I don't think is a big deal. The only difference is Joseph. That's the only difference. His sons, same sons, same, uh, same group of people that he came with, that he had over there in Canaan, same group of people who came and lived with him over there in Goshen. Joseph does not live with them in Goshen, but Joseph comes and visits them in Goshen. But look at the things he's done here. Just in these, this simple blessing that he had, we see that Jacob has added, first off, a positive outlook of the future. He didn't have this positive outlook before. He didn't have the positive outlook on the past. He didn't have a positive outlook on his future. He didn't have a positive outlook on his present. Now he's got this positive attitude. Oh yeah, God, he brought me through. He uh, delivered me. Huh. So how you saw it before. Now he has vision to see the hand of God instead of fate. Well, life has just dealt me all these blows. My favorite wife died. My son was taken away. Thought he was dead. All these things that had gone on that were, that were terrible. But now he sees that the angel has delivered him from all these troubles. He has vision to see the hand of God. He couldn't see this before. But now he has vision to see it. And the third thing, he has joy in the blessings we have instead of a sadness for what we lost. Jacob was always caught up with sadness for all the things he lost. He lost Joseph. He lost Rachel. He lost this. He, he, all these things he lost and he's mulling over that. Oh, this is going Oh, this is going on. Oh, it's been tough. It's been hard. But now, it's not that way. So there's a positive outlook of the future and also the past. Vision to see the hand of God instead of fate and joy in the blessings we have instead of sadness for what we lost. The only difference in Jacob's life is Joseph, it seems to me. We don't have any of this in the Word of God. We don't know any of the interaction that went on. But it would seem that somehow Joseph's interaction with his father over the 17 years that they're there has taken Joseph from the negative person that he was to the positive person he is now. So, I ask this question. Is it possible for us to help others like Jacob? How many of you got a Jacob in your life? How many of you got some in your life that's always negative? Always down? You're not doing enough for me. You're not doing this for me. No one's helping me. Oh, work is always so tough. Oh, I never have enough money. Oh, I never have enough, whatever it might be. Always, always negative, 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 negative. How does Joseph help him? And is it possible for me to be a Joseph in someone else's life? 
Well, I meditated on this for a little bit, and you must do three things in order to be a Joseph in someone else's life, or other people need to be able to do three things if they are going to be a Joseph in your life. Our goal ought to be a Joseph, to be a Joseph in other people's lives. But we also can use to have a, a Joseph in our life. You can have somebody who can get into your life and speak into your life or change you and help you out. Maybe even more than one. Don't need a whole lot of them. But three things here. First one, three things to do. First is model. We can't just be better. We have to be able to show how. I gotta be a model. I can't just be a mannequin. Mannequin just shows you this is what you can be. No, a model actually says this is how. This is how I do things. I got to model it for him. This is what I do. Jesse Duplantis, when he gets up and he preaches, he's trying to be a model to people. He's telling people his life experiences. He's telling people how he talks. He's telling people how he views things. He's telling people how he views money. He's telling people how he views going to a restaurant. How many have heard his restaurant stories? And the blessings he is on people. He looks for this. So he's when he's preaching, he's actually modeling for you how to do it. He's modeling for you, telling you. So when you go into the restaurant, sometimes you'll be thinking about some of those Jesse DePlanta stories. And you'll be... Alright, well, Jesse had this interaction with the server. He would ask some of these questions and so I have these things going over my head. Maybe I can, um, do that for somebody else's, else's life. I heard Jesse got in the news. Anybody hear about that? Yeah. Yeah, Jesse got, Jesse DePlantis got in the news. My wife was telling me about, I didn't hear the news or not, she, she's not listening to the news either, but she, it, it came to her somehow, probably somebody, uh, who liked Brother Jesse who I was pretty sure that wasn't it. But um, anyway, he had said something in uh, one of the uh, services of uh, recent time. I think it was recent time. And he said uh, one of the reasons that the Lord is, uh, and I'm, I'm doing this secondhand, so you can go back there and get it, but I'm only doing it secondhand because I don't have animosity towards Brother Jesse. I'm not trying to hurt him here. Um, if if um, the people of, the, of God, the people in the church, would give more, Jesus could, would probably come back sooner. Now, probably, if he thought about it later on, he might want to say that differently. But I, I can, I, I know Brother Jesse. I've heard Brother Jesse teach on a number of occasions. And I've heard him talk about money and its relationship to getting people saved. He's, he's talked about that before. From what I understand, when he said that, he didn't say anybody had to give into his ministry. He just said people are not giving into the body of Christ. And I think there were some examples he used. You know, people have plenty of money to buy boats and uh, bigger this or bigger that or whatever it might be, but not always the same amount of money to, to put into the kingdom of God. And he's just trying to show that the priorities were there. But he never said you had to give money to his ministry or to anything that he was endeavoring to do. But um, I think that I could see something going on with, with what he was saying. But I'm sure if he had his, his way to do it, he probably would have said it a little bit differently than the way he did say it. That's all right. I know his heart. And his, his heart, he's, he doesn't just tell people to give. He, he is a model giver. He goes out there and he gives himself. 
Now, you're going to be a, a model. I can't just be better. I can't just be a mannequin. I can't just be somebody who just demonstrates this is what you can, you know, mannequin, you put that on in the department stores. You walk on in and you see that dress, you see that uh, suit on the mannequin. That's what I can look like. Probably not. But we get that idea anyway, right? We we may not be built like the mannequin is built, so we may not give it the uh, the exact look that that has. But that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a model. Let people see how you are doing this. Now, not all will let you do this. Some are too close or familiar, like spouses, people that you live with. You see, Jesus could be a model for many of the people, like the disciples, but he couldn't be a model for his brothers and sisters. They didn't believe in him while he was there here on the earth. They were too close to him. People are too close to you, and that happens, you know, that you're married to them, or you live with them, or, you know, there's a lot of uh, close proximity. Then, uh, that can, that can be a hindrance. There's a separation of Joseph, though. He's, uh, 13 plus years separated from his family. So, because of that separation, there's not the same familiarity. Beside that, they live in Goshen. He doesn't live in Goshen. He comes and visits. So there's still a separation that goes on, though he will see them. That could help Joseph to become this for them. It probably opens the door. Now, if you can't be the person for the people that are so negative and so down that are in your life, if you can't be that person, then pray for someone to come along. Pray for God to send someone to come along. But that's the first thing is model. You may not be able to be that for the people that you, you live with, or that you have real close contact with, but you can pray for somebody else to come in and do that. Second thing is, motivate. Motivate. This is how I operate now. You can do it too. This is how I operate now. This is what I'm doing now. This is how I go about it. I gotta motivate. I gotta find some things to be able to do this. If you like to watch, uh, some of those uh, uh, movies that are out there, uh, certainly not all of them, but there are movies out there where you see someone in the movie has all these profound things to say. Remember, um, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but I remember the Karate Kid. Mr. What was his name? Hosagi? Hosagi. He, and he would always have these profound things that he would say to, um, to the, the, to the kid in there. Uh, the kid who was playing there, he would, he, kid would be facing something, the kid would be afraid, something come up, and then Mr. Uh, Osagi would come out, and he would say something. Sometimes it was a little puzzling for the kid, but he put a little thought to it, and then, oh yeah, yeah, we can figure that out. Of course, we all know that part, you know, he's out there waxing the cars, wax on, wax off. But it, that's that one phrase, wax on, wax off, inspires us to all kinds of things. Whatever I'm doing on a daily basis, it may have an effect upon what I want to try and do. Now, you don't have to collect these profound statements in order to be uh, this, this for somebody. Just listen to your spirit. This is what Jesus did. Jesus just listened to his spirit and he spoke them. How many short statements from Jesus do we hold on to? I wrote down a couple. You can probably write down some more. Here's one. Be careful that you are not deceived. Short. But doesn't that inspire you in a lot of... Doesn't that motivate you? All right, I am not going to be deceived. I'm going to get ready for this. I'm going to be watching for this over here. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. 
Not everybody who's a religious leader, not everybody who's a teacher in the body of Christ is teaching what's good. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I got to listen to this stuff and check it out. Make sure these people aren't trying to deceive me. How about this one? All things are possible to him that believes. Isn't that motivating? Don't we sometimes go back to this word of Jesus? All things are possible to him that believes. Here's another one. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is a, a, it's just a short statement, but you have these short statements. They can just in, uh, motivate, inspire, take us on into, into greater heights. You don't have to memorize all these things and pull them out at the right time. You just listen to your spirit. Here's one. One more for you before we go off this. And, and know that I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Boy, isn't that motivating? No matter what it is you're going through, just know I'm there with you. Uh, I, I won't ever leave you. I'm going to be there with you. We're going to help you. Even when we make a mistake, maybe we sit in the middle of our mistake that we made, but um, <clears throat> God is still with me. Doesn't mean He brought it about. He may be saying, I'm here with you. You know we shouldn't be here. <laughs> you listen to me, we wouldn't be here. So model, motivate. Here's the third one, mentor. This is one whose input you can receive without reservation. We're not talking about just regular teachers, people that just, uh, uh, they, they have great understanding. We're just listening to them to, to gain that. No, we're looking at mentors. I've, to, I've told you before, influencers, people who can come into your life and just influence you. This is what you need to have in there. A mentor cannot be one you view as an equal. If you view someone as an equal, they will not be able to be your mentor because you're equal. So if they say something corrective, if they say something to you to, to fix something, well, no, I have, to, I have to check that out. I'm not sure if I'm going to go that way or not. Because you're, you're still over that part of your life. Those people are not. They're not a mentor to you. They must be able to speak into your life without much questioning. Now, of course, everything is brought back to the Word. And if you pick your, your mentor correctly, they always do that anyway. And that won't be an issue. But you've got to have some of these people that can get into your life and can speak to you like no one else. This is the kind of thing that you, that you have to have going on. Someone who can get in there and just uh, fire you up. Now, remember, this this isn't going to be something who's real familiar with you. A lot of times people say, "Well, my spouse should be that." No, not necessarily. Sometimes spouses are 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 um, too familiar. And you know what? You're supposed to be equal. So that's, that's not going to have the same thing. There ought to be some people in there. They say something to you. Hey, watch that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, ch- check this out over here. And and you do. Because they, not because it's something that you felt convicted on the inside, but well, so-and-so said so. So I'm going to go out there and do it. You know, just like Danielson. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> Why is he out there polishing the guy's car and fixing up his deck and all that sort of stuff? Because uh, 
someone he didn't see as an equal, someone who modeled something for him that he wanted to have. And when he said to do something, he went out there and he did it. That's the kind of people that you have to have in your in your life. You, they, you can even do this with people you're not physically in contact with. But that course will will help out. All right, let's continue. To go on here, verse seventeen. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying. Well, hold on, before we get there, let's, let's finish off these ones. Joseph was displeased with what his father did because what his father did was not customary. It was not how things are done. At least with their family, maybe other parts of the world too, but this is not how things are done. The oldest gets the right hand. Now, you only have two hands. What if you had four kids? You know, maybe you need to go two and then two. Well, then two of them got the right hand. And I don't know how you, you do all that. But anyway, that's how we, <laughs> that's how we have it going on here. Um, he was displeased. Now, we said it before that, Joseph, uh, that Jacob knowingly put his right hand on Ephraim's head. There was something he knew. God had revealed something to him about this. He didn't reveal it to Joseph. Joseph didn't know about it. Now it seems like God is dealing with Joseph on all these spiritual matters. But here on this one, he dealt with Jacob and not Joseph. I thought that to be kind of interesting. Now Joseph, once his father explained it to him, all right, it's fine. If you've got revelation on this, if you have an understanding on this, I don't have, and you're saying the older is going to serve the younger, I'm not, he doesn't get in the way. He does not try and interfere with that at all. So he, he speaks this blessing out over them. Yeah, I know that they're both going to become great, but Ephraim is going to be greater. And of the houses of, of Israel, of the northern tribes, Ephraim was not only the greater one between him and Manasseh, he was the greatest of the ten tribes in the north. Many times the northern tribes were known by Ephraim. The southern tribes were known by Judah. There was only two in, the, in there. Initially there was only two. More of the other tribes came over so that actually the south had all the tribes in there, but they were known as Judah. But in the north they were often known as Ephraim. They were the greatest of the tribes that they they had. So, greater than Manasseh, but also he became greater than all the rest of them. So, Jacob received revelation on this that the older was going to serve the younger. This is not the first time this has occurred. Now, Jacob had a father who was going to go against God's intention to bless the younger. 
because Isaac had that, that knowledge, the older will serve the younger. But he's ready to dish out the blessing to come against what God had said. He's going to bless Esau with the best blessing and not Jacob. So the deception went on. Jacob comes in. He gets the, the blessing. But, but his father intended for the better blessing to go on the older, even though God had said from the time they were born, that's not how it's going to be. So he knows, I'm not going against If God says this, I'm not going against it. Now, he, God didn't say that to any of his, about his kids. There was no uh, blessing similar to that with, uh, with his own kids. But he took the two here from Joseph, and he speaks this over them. Now, in the book of Genesis, we have this happen quite a few times. Seth was chosen over Cain. Seth was the younger, overcame. Shem was chosen over Japheth. Isaac, of course, was uh, chosen over Ishmael. Jacob was chosen over Esau. And now Ephraim was chosen over Manasseh. Now, the normal way of doing things, well, there's also some other times you'll see this. Jacob had endeavored to choose Rachel over Leah. Rachel was the younger of the two. And Laban was not about to have that happen. So instead of one wife, he ended up with four. And uh, even with the, the kids, we see that uh, the older, the, the blessing didn't necessarily fall in the, the order of Reuben that disqualified himself because of some of the things that he had done as being the oldest, but was overlooked because of, of much of that. So Jacob follows what God showed him over what was customary. This is the customary thing. The customary thing is the right hand goes on the oldest one. The left hand goes over the other. That's the custom. That's the customary thing. But he's got a leading in a direction to go against this. Now the old Jacob, we don't, I don't know that he would have followed this. And when he gets mentioned in the book of Hebrews, he's mentioned because of the way he blesses the kids. Mostly his kids, but these two are brought into his fold as being two of his own kids. He basically takes them from Joseph. He elevates them to the status of the twelve. That's what he's doing. Now I wrote this in your outline for you. Could God get you to buck tradition for what he reveals to you? (laughs) So now we're going to go stepping on some toes. We have traditions. We have ways of doing things. For some of us, our, our, our families have taught us to uh, operate in a certain way. And God may say, uh-uh, we don't do that. But this is the way my, my parents taught me. This is the way that we've, we've always done this. Nope. You're going to be doing that differently. Sometimes people, even in the political area, because mom and dad voted a certain way, and their mom and dad voted a certain way, I will vote that particular way. Even though God may lead you to go uh, differently or whatever it might be, that can sometimes be very, very tough for some people. Sometimes we have a view of how people operate in society that is passed down to us from uh, our ancestors. How we look on certain people. Uh, some, some places they look on different people because of the color of their skin or their, their race, the nationality they were born with or the area of town that they came from or the way that they talk. 
and they just look down upon them, not because of knowing anything about the person themselves, but simply because of the way you look, the way you talk, the way you act, where you came from, how you identify yourself, whatever it might be. And then we immediately put them into a category because this is what I was taught, this is what I was. And then God gives me a revelation, you will not look upon them that way. You will not do these particular things, even though this is your tradition, even though this has been going on. If God does that with us, will we buck our tradition? Or will we go with what God said? And that's not something you can just say, well, I just do that all the time. No. (laughs) I think every time that you run into it, you're going to face that decision again. Because, all right, God may buck this tradition. That wasn't so bad. But you're going to buck this one over here. You know, your tradition may just simply be you grew up in a house, and that house, they were always the dog people. And then you married somebody who's a cat person. Hmm. There can be a problem there. <laughs> I've seen some people who uh, get married, and I've, I've had friends who, who were in this, uh, and one person came from a very strong Catholic background. Now, the thing about a Catholic background is it is ingrained in your culture. It's not just the religion. It's your culture. It doesn't matter where you come from. It, Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic, German Catholic, there are you know, Catholic churches all over the place, but it's ingrained in your culture. And so I've seen a number of people, they got married, they, they were people that got born again, spirit-filled. They were married, but one person came from a Catholic background. And they're always feeling that pull, that tradition to take them down. And when the babies are born, well, we need to take them down to the Catholic Church and get them sprinkled or, you know, they baptized, christened. But why? Because that's what we always do. My parents are going to expect it. And so the pressure is put on. And the other person, no, 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 that's, that's, I'm, I'm not bringing my kids into anything with the Catholic Church. And a big conflict will rise up. So you can see where this this can come out. Jacob, in doing this, goes against what is tradition. Goes against what he knows to do. His father didn't overcome this. His father was ready to buck what God had said for what was tradition. And Jacob, for all the things we've looked at him and said, well, you know, he comes up short in a lot of these areas. He gets here on the deathbed and he, he comes up good. He bucked tradition to do what God said. I still get amazed that Joseph, the spiritual one in the whole group, didn't know this. He saw these guys growing up and did not know this little revelation about his own two boys. How did he not know that? He didn't know it. But as soon as he heard this described by his father, he immediately accepted it. So it must have been down in his spirit. He said, yep, that's all right. That's right. Must have borne witness with him somehow. And then he he accepted it and, and we went on. And these are the parts that he was mentioned for in Hebrews 11. If he's not around Joseph for his last 17 years in his life, I wonder if he would have been capable of this. I wonder if he would have followed in the exact same 
situation that his father before him did. I wonder if he would have followed in that. But something happened and he bucked tradition. Even to the point they owe everything to Joseph. He has such great respect for Joseph. And Joseph says, wait a minute, that's not right. He stops Joseph. He says, Joseph, you've been right about a whole lot of things. I'm paraphrasing. But not this one. And Joseph says, okay. We're on verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. God will be with you. Well, I, I, we missed, uh, did I miss? Go back to verse 21. If, I think that's where we were, but I had the wrong, wrong number on my part there. No, we're there, we're there, okay, okay. I copied it twice, that's all it was. I knew that I left off part of the scripture room before. Behold, I am dying, but God will bring, be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Boy, he says this with certainty, doesn't he? It's not the, the Jacob. I call him Jacob here just to keep him straight, but here it's called it Israel. Moreover, I have given you, given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Now we'll get more into this, this blessing here as we get into this in the, uh, the chapter that comes. But here at the end, how can you stay true to what God actually said? How can you make sure that you stay true to the things that God actually said in His Word and don't go off like Jacob had done? First off, know the promise. You got to know the promise. You got to know what God said. I can't know what people uh, think about what God said. I got to know what did God actually say? What are His words? I may not have complete understanding of those words, but I need to know what those words were. So know the promise. Secondly, gain understanding. Just because I know the words doesn't mean I have understanding of it. Know the promise, gain understanding. You'll get that through teaching. Body of Christ, God has put people in the body of Christ to teach us. You'll get this because down in your spirit He'll speak revelation to you. But gain understanding. Got to know the promise, then I got to gain the understanding. And here's the last one. Be public. Be public. Don't be private in what you're doing with this. If you have a promise from God, be public about it. Be declaring it. God has said. This is a thing that God did with Abraham. God did try to do with Isaac. God did with Jacob. Speak the promise. Say it. Say it. Abraham, say this. I am the father of many nations. Say it, Abraham. Say it with me. I am the father of many nations. Say it. Declare it. You've got to be public with this. When you are public, it let others judge what it is that you're saying. I don't care about their opinion. I don't want them to judge what I'm saying on their opinion. Well, I don't think you ought to do that. Well, then get out of my way. But I want to know, do you have an understanding that comes from the Word of God that is different than I have? That will shed light on the thing that I'm doing, on the thing that I'm saying. Because if I'm public with it, and I'm saying like like Jacob did here in the beginning, he said the promise. If you say the promise as you know it, we can say, oh, wait a minute, right there. That's a little off. But you got to be public. 
You got to let other people know. Wait a minute now. That, you had it all right except for the end. At the end, you went off there. That's going to change things. That's, that's not what was said. And they can bring that into, into line and help you out. Especially if there is a Joseph in your life. Do you have a Joseph in your life? Do you have someone that can speak these things to you? Could you be a Joseph for another person? Is it possible that you could be a, a Joseph to help someone else? It is easier than we would like to believe to take the thing that God said and veer off from where we're supposed to. The disciples heard what Jesus said, but they veered off many times from what Jesus was intending because they didn't have complete understanding. They, they didn't remember it right. But if we take those promises and I keep going over them, this is what God said. I need to understand what he said. I need to understand how that, that helps me. And I gain that understanding. And I'm public about it. I'm declaring it in front of people. Letting other people hear me say it. God wants you to be public with it. Jesus was public with declaring what God had said about him. He would go into the synagogue. Remember what he would say? Every time he'd go into the synagogue, it was his, his habit. He would read that passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is saying, he is declaring what God has said about his ministry. He is declaring what God has ordered him to do. Giving him These are my marching orders. This is what I'm supposed to do. He keeps saying it. He makes it public. He lets people know, I have come to do the will of my Father. I can't say anything that my Father doesn't say. I can't do anything my Father, I haven't seen my Father do. He declares these things. And we have to be willing to be public as well. I bet most of us could say we're probably not as public as we ought to be. And that's something that we ought to be able to work on. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you have spoken them to us. The enemy is always trying to to corrupt them, pervert them, add to them. But the more we stay with it, the more understanding we gain, the harder that is for him to do. And I thank you for the help that you give us to be public, to follow after examples like Jesus and declare what you have said. To follow after people like Abraham who declared what you spoke over him. And Father, there's people for whom we can be a Joseph. We can help take them from a life that is dominated by depression, by being down, by seeing all the problems that have come. And as we work with them, and as we become a model, a motivator, a mentor, we can help them change their life as it seems that Joseph has done for Jacob. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.